0: Welcome to Creative Composions. We're taking a break from the LA grind to unravel the future cinema classics of tomorrow while honoring the masterpieces of yesterday.
1: It's so much more than a podcast. It's an unabashed deep dive into the world of entertainment, current events, culture, and the randomness of our day-to-day existence through the lens of young Hollywood. No topic or genre is off
0: the table. So grab your popcorn, your Halle Berry, or whatever fizzes your soda. Let's get into it. This is Creative Composions. I love that part. Alright, I am, of course, your host, Martin Martinez. I'm an actor.
1: And I am part goof, part truth, actor, writer, and self-improvement connoisseur, Troy Hat.
0: Now in this first of this double header episode as part of our new release series, we envelop ourselves into the year 1971. Miramax and Focus Features brings us The Holdovers, headlined by critically acclaimed actor Paul Giamatti, directed by widely respected filmmaker Alexander Payne, who you may know from Election, The Descendants, and Sideways and written by David Hemmingson. This film is already generating Oscar buzz with a scene-stealing performance by Divine Joy Randolph, who you might know from Only Murders in the Building, among other things, and an extremely confident performance by newcomer Dominic Sessa.
1: And uh, as mentioned earlier, we're going to round out our discussions with what many call the definitive prep school movie, Robin Williams Starring Vehicle, 1989's Dead Poets Society, featuring a young Ethan Hawke, uh, directed by powerhouse, Peter Weir. But before we get to that, it's time for the catch up.
0: The catch up.
1: It's, It's randomly extremely hot today.
0: And I made the mistake
1: twice of overdressing.
0: Which is so odd. We're almost into December. Yeah. It's kind of crazy how warm it is. But the strike is over. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thankfully. Uh, we mentioned that briefly in the other episode. They were in negotiations. And turns out the strike is over. It was like since... Well, the SAG strike was since July. Mm-hmm. But the writers were on strike in March. Yeah. During March or April. Sure. Something like that. Yeah. So technically... a while. Like, Everything was just done from April. Yeah. Uh, So that's been really exciting. I'm like kind of curious how things are going to look. And I I have a question for you. So grateful.
1: What was the strike like? for you because i had a very particular experience because a lot of the times like it somehow just kept getting compared to 2020 i'm like luckily like none of us were sick but it was the same type of mentality of like how do we keep ourselves busy how do we how do we maneuver this time period also similar to 2020 we didn't know when it was gonna end it was like is it next week and it just kept going and going and going i know going so what was that experience like for you? it's
0: so unfortunate especially coming back out of 2020. I mean, people in the industry are still talking about the ripple effects of what that did to the world, really, and our industry. And then having this strike also come into play so close to that, it was for me very difficult. I mean, I was I was going back to back shooting over the past couple of years, and I wrapped up my last project in March. And since then, I was just like, what the heck is going on? Like, what do we do right now? Start
1: a podcast, maybe. Exactly, <laughs>
0: starting the podcast.
1: It have happened without without it happening, and I'm so I'm kind of glad that it happened. For this.
0: Trying to get things kind of moving in, in a sense. Uh, I got I picked up like writing. I picked up a different a bunch of different hobbies but really it was just kind of holding my breath. Yeah. Which is a thing where you know at some point you have to just kind of get on with your life and you have to really think about like how long is this gonna fare and how am I going to stay afloat so that I can weather this storm.
1: This is the truth, and this is why I wanted to bring it up, because a lot of our listeners probably went through it. Um, I had the worst time, and the thing is, is what makes it unique, is I I truly feel confidently uh, in saying that I sailed through 2020 minus the sickness, and I know that, like, I'm grateful that I... I I feel like I may have caught COVID just before COVID actually hit, um, before it was popular, before I knew what I was going through. It was like during my birthday week, I got like really, really sick. Um, But my mentality, as I said, in the uh, previous episode, I'm like, I had started this mindfulness journey, I had started a writing schedule, I had started a reading schedule, taking baths to keep myself calm and all that stuff. And it it's for some reason went all out the window with this seg strike and i have the spiritual side and the human side the the spiritual side is like of course this was meant to happen it's flushing people out of los angeles Uh, it's giving people permission to do what they need to do um and for me normally i would have hunkered down and wrote and i spent a lot of time going life's too short which is hilarious and it's time for everyone to take a shot because i'm about to say i just got chills (laughs) which I say every
0: episode. A lot, which is great though, that's your thing. <laughs> it's the
1: truth, it's, it's, it's one of my compasses for how I'm feeling.
0: If you were a cartoon, that would be your character. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, I just got chills. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I just got chills. <laughs> which is hilarious because Dead Poet Society, which we're gonna cover is all about carpe diem and seizing the day. And I truly felt like I just decided that I was going to enjoy the summer regardless of what was going on. And you know, there's a privilege to that also. You know, I was I was juggling like mad, but I was like, I'm going to the beach. I'm going to see certain friends and reconnect with certain friends, and that's literally what brought all of this together.
0: So, well, there you go. You know, I guess there was a little bit of beauty out of this. There there is a little bit of beauty. You have to make it. You know, you have to make it what it is.
1: I I have to say, I um, I went to bat for this film. Uh, The first time I watched it, there was uh, an older couple that came in and were talking really loudly and me and Jerome uh, and one of my other friends Adam just eventually started laughing during certain periods because they were so loud. So it was hard for me to fully go to bat for this film like we, should, we need to cover it. And the second time I watched it I was like we we have to we have to. And, but I don't know what you thought of this film. Like I, I actually have no clue. So you
0: watched it twice. Okay. I did. Nice. Just a reminder we're finding out what each of us think about the film for the very first time. It's funny this word it's keeps like going. the it's like the raw, unfiltered reveal.
1: And there's to me there's danger to it. There's there's excitement that that is there. And I tried to I try so hard to go I'm like la 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 don't tell me. I know. And because I, I literally have no clue and it tells us about each other Like, I'm finding out about you by finding out what
0: you feel about this film. And it's great, too. It's cool because I have my own separate doc, you know what I mean? That I had to put my you know, we have like a little bit of a format. But if you saw that, then you would know what I was going to say. And who knows what that premeditative kind of episode would look like. Okay, so the holdovers. The log line is a cranky history teacher at a remote prep school is forced to remain on campus over the holidays with a troubled student who has no place to go. And then later on in this episode, we are also going to be talking about... Uh, dead Poet Society. And the logline for that is a maverick teacher, John Keating returns in 1959 to the prestigious New England Boys Boarding School, where he was once a star student, using poetry to embolden his pupils to new heights of self-expression.
1: I'm dying to hear. Martin, what'd you think?
0: <laughs> okay. First of all, on the record, I'm gonna say it. Troy, you were right. Oh,
1: This is why, this is why.
0: <laughs> yes. This is why I'm this, this is no, why it's I'm hot, I'm because you're not. <laughs> Alright, anyways, Troy, you were right, and I'm so glad you kept pushing for the holdovers for this episode because what a film.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm gonna just full-on cry because <laughs> it, it was gonna tell us something about our connection because we both love film and a lot of our films intersect.
0: Yeah, so, so this is the scoop, this is my scoop, okay? The holdovers, which is currently in theaters, sits at 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. Paul Giamatti, a huge working actor with just over 250 credits to his name, plays Paul Hunnam, a Classics teacher at Barton Academy, a, which is a Massachusetts, Massachusetts, Which is a Massachusetts boarding school where his character actually went to school years before. But he's now a washed-up writer, which has left him as a bitter, pompous teacher. Now, during the holiday break, one of the students has nowhere to go, which forces Mr. Hunnam to stay at the Academy during the break. Directed by Alexander Payne, like we mentioned before, where moody and quarrelsome people are his specialty, according to New York Times. (laughs)
1: According to New York Times!
0: (laughs) So, you automatically know that you're in it for a trip, you know what I mean? This film is a complete 70s throwback, and like Mr. Hunnam says, history isn't the study of the past, but an explanation of the future. The film delivers a very clever and well-executed balance of humor and drama and wisdom sprinkled throughout the film. The comedy is timed so perfectly and watching Paul Giamatti in this role is amazing to see because he is subtle and he is sharp and the comedic moments left me and the whole theater laughing out loud which was amazing to see um, how the theater was like basically full. People started to file in the crowd and, and the crowd varied greatly with older couples, groups of young friends to younger couples enjoying the film for what looked like date night which was awesome to see. So go to the theater. It's still a blast. It's still a thing to do. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And as well as a slew of other solo watchers like myself, but Paul Giamatti is so subtle and he owns the film in every frame he is in, really landing the comedy and the wisdom. Uh, one of my favorite lines were from the scene with Paul and Carrie Preston. So she looks over to Angus Tilly's character and says, life catches up to them so fast. And then she lets out a chuckle of both partial embarrassment and realization. And then she proceeds to look at Mr. Hunnam and says, them, laughing, and then she says, us. Life catches up to us so fast. And that hit me, that hit me so hard. Divine Joy Randolph gave her character a light Boston accent, did you notice that? Yes. And uh, her character was dealing with the loss of her son. Such a grounded performance from her, and, and I gotta say, Dominic Sessa. Where and how did they find this guy? Where did this kid come from? I'm looking like through IMDb
1: doing research for this film. And- this is his first and only credit Congratulations.
0: Very big congratulations. It would have been super awesome to see if he got an introducing credit. Did he get that? Did it say not introducing? Not that I saw, dominance? not that I saw. That would have been really cool. But what a great performance from him. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next.
1: Divine Joy Randolph, she it's so easy to be to be boring. It is so easy for an actor to choose a performance where they're going to, I'm just going to look like I'm doing nothing. I'm just going to deliver my, that is so dangerous for an actor because it can, fall, it can fall into boring. And she is captivating. She is real. She trusted that her work was there. She trusted that, that her emotions were going to rise to the surface at the right moments. And she delivers this masterful performance where you just believe this character. And I actually want to get into this specifically. Um, I'm black. My mom is black. I talk about the black experience while also acknowledging that I don't have the full black experience because of the color of my skin, Uh, you know, percentages to be determined. So I, I do, I talk about the black experience, and this is an incredible role for a black actress in the 70s, 1971 specifically, where she's so full of life, and they've given her this very beautiful pocket, um for a character that is a cook in a preparatory school to voice her opinions to swear to cut into these other characters which is not usually seen and it is an important performance because we have the ability to write for these characters and it takes some effort to figure out how you can find the color and also acknowledge the fact that there was a lack of equality at that time and i just
0: thought that was beautiful and paul giamatti i mean i know him from They were all so, the performances in this film were very grounded. They were very subtle and very grounded, a lot like what you were saying with Divine's choices. And you said boring and a term for the industry can also come out as flat. Thank you. But you're right, she did, she trusted that her preparation, her work was there, everything was happening behind the eyes internally, you know, and that would surface at the right times. Um, And you could tell it was a choice yeah you could tell that it was like i'm not i'm not here to try to steal scenes i'm here to be as authentic as possible
1: yeah maneuver maneuver around me and that is her character maneuver around me because i'm gonna just be me
0: and i and i and i love that everybody was really in a really giving place you know especially if we're talking about like maybe set wise set culture wise it was no competition for scenes if you know everybody was there like supporting each other working as a team working as a well-oiled engine and i think that That's what makes this film like read and and be so enjoyable to watch because everybody is just is is in there holding their own space, holding space for the actor authentically rooted and grounded in authenticity.
1: And we can we say the word supporting cast a lot doesn't mean that that's what they're doing sometimes that's just the position they're given I truly felt that every single character in this film was part of that supporting cast on on building this story I grew up with Paul Giamatti in A man on the moon or man in the moon I always forget which one it is because both of those are movies and I uh, but it's the movie with Jim Carrey um, and I- I've always loved him and he's just Absolutely incredible just I feel I find him always authentic and this role is a little bit zany and his ability to ground it Is just exceptional and I actually found myself enjoying his performance specifically the second time around mm. Really? I was like he was so good
0: is but the him in this part He was really good and he was so subtle I mean like I said the comedic moments really hit the drama really hit everything kind of just really worked um I will say, like, people that are going into the, into the theater that are going to watch it, the, you know, just get past the first act. First act is where they're building the world. The right? setup. It's the setup. You're building, you're, you're understanding what's happening. But you're not really, really invested until, until I feel like the other kids leave. Fair.
1: And isn't that the entire film? that's what it's about it's about the kids
0: who do leave specifically can I talk about because it brings an intimacy to the to the characters and then you as a, as a viewer as a watcher now you're starting to identify with them because you're starting to see so many other levels and, and facets to these characters and that's what happens in the first act you know you're not going to be it, they have to take time to develop the characters you know I, I'm only seeing that for like maybe a younger audience that's, that wants to go and check it out sure. expecting something that's going to be like maybe you know like it, it's tough now because our attention span is a lot more difficult to hold over. <laughs> hey,
1: <Compulsions. laughs>
0: you know because like you like we had talked about this in the previous episodes, but we have like so, social media, we have all these electronics and stuff like that, but also other projects that are out are already established IP. You know, you're seeing like a lot of superhero films and things like that, action pack scenes, explosions, and and you're usually getting that right off the bat. This is like kind of a kind of a slow burn in the beginning, but you, when you're locked in and you're there and you're invested and you're experiencing it and it's storytelling at its finest, it's the human condition, that, that, that's it. You're not getting any of the flashing stuff. Does I, that make sense?
1: Absolutely. I'm, I'm here, I'm here, I'm on the ride with you. I'm still reeling from the fact that I just found out that you love it as much as I love <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm still reeling. It was like so good. <laughs> I, I, up, I operate on melancholy. And I feel like this film like completely connects to a certain like level that my body naturally operates on. And from the very beginning, this this quiet music first it fully commits to being an, a 1971 film. So from the final crack of like you can hear almost like a record player crack uh, and almost like the film being spliced as the film begins and this music starts and it reminds me of like Into the Wild with this the gorgeous music that kind of. Goes throughout the whole, the music in this film. It it is a holiday film because they 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 um, intersect it with all of this beautiful music that just it's a character in the film. The camera is a character
0: in the film. They commit. I was wondering if they filmed it on film. It looks like it, doesn't a, it? I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. Actually, I should probably know. That. It looks like it. it. It's it's a it's a totally it's a complete '70s film in 2023. Entirely, you know, I was, I was I was reading some reviews and people were like, oh yeah, after I was watching the film, I totally forgot I was in 2023. I expected to walk out of the theater and be in the 70s. That's cool. That's great, and uh,
1: to go off what you said, the first time I went, not very many people and mind you this was two weeks ago when i recently went there were more people in the theater mm-hmm. and there was a younger generation in the theater enjoying the movie and laughing and i felt like part of a community and
0: it was just amazing so listening to some some other like podcast talked about the holdovers and it's unfortunate that it probably didn't get as much exposure as it could have because the cast wasn't able to promote them. Mm-hmm. Right. right you know they're not able to go a like, casualty and, Q and A, and that's and a film like this needs that. You know what I mean? Talking about the character, having the screenings, people invested. So after they watch it, like, oh my god, let's talk to these like people and these actors and these um, artists to see how they were able to deliver this type of uh, material. So that's unfortunate, but given the high like Tomato Rotten Tomato score, the audience score, it has it's it's high ratings all around, and it's cool because you like you just said you went to the theater twice. The second time there was more uh people watching it it's a word of mouth kind of film. momentum
1: and i feel like, honestly i feel like honored to be a part of the promotional machine now that the strike is over to be able to tell people like go see this film yeah it's it's probably going to go out of theater soon um when it comes back on on streaming watch this film and, it, and if it ever but go to the theater
0: if you can, go to the theater.
1: Yeah, I'm saying, like, you know, it's going to be out of the theater soon. Yeah. And uh, if it's not playing, you know, make sure that you watch it on a big screen TV and blast the sound and just get enveloped in the world.
0: 100%. A lot of uh, reviews were saying, and we even agree, you even brought it up, it, it kind of models the thematics of Dead Poet Society.
1: It, it does. And, and honestly, watching it a second time you see the homage. We love that word on this podcast. (laughs) Homage
0: to it, yeah. Closely, like the setting is is similar, a a private school setting, right? You have the teacher that is going to make hopefully a long lasting impact on somebody that's maybe lacking something or that zest in life. And it's a coming of age, you know, both of our coming of age stories. What I want to say is that like the thematics are the same, but the conclusions are very different. You know, it has its own take to it. Holdovers has its own take, Dead Post Society has its own take. Both are very fulfilling to watch, and both execute their message very distinctly. Um, and both have similarities, but they are both very different films.
1: I, I totally agree with you. Um, they modeled after a lot of the similar shots that are used, but this one almost like, because it's 70s inspired, you feel like uh, Martin Scorsese is, is, is directing it because they do these shots where they pull in and pull out, and I'm like, I love this film, it's it's gorgeous and I love the story between uh, the teacher and the student because they both found each other at a very specific time because they had something that they really needed to go through together and there was this beautiful resolution and it's ugly and messy and uncomfortable and then it becomes the most beautiful thing in the world. And mm-hmm. um, I always say this to you whenever I reconnect with a friend like we are working on this podcast I'm always searching for that reason I'm like what are we supposed to pull out of each other and it is the it is a the definition of collaboration for me isn't you do some stuff and I do some stuff it is about creating something together that you can see has has both of our inspiration in it and I felt like yeah. I see that in this. And a
0: psycho- psychological thing in psychology, you know, everybody's a mirror to yeah. yourself, which, you know, it's interesting to wrap your head around once you get to that, once you get to that understanding, but your your reality that surrounds you, the people that you are encounter, the traits that maybe you admire from them or dislike or things like that, those are all a reflection of ourselves. And so a film like this kind of also shows that, you know, in that dynamic. And also in Dead Poets Society, there's something to learn from everybody, you know, and, and In that learning process, really what you are is you're just learning yourself at a more deeper level and then that is what can grant you the access to give more to others.
1: I found myself just crying in this movie. Just based off of the tone alone, this is just beautiful music. I, I felt I felt free and kind of relaxed. And then hearing the Christmas music, and I'm super nostalgic. And just hearing the and being in the dark, and just hearing this beautiful Christmas music and the beautiful shots that that just were just creating the environment. And I'm just kind of like just like releasing. And it and it, we can attest both because we have very similar uh, like-minded films that we both love. Um, that type of film, when it affects me like that, is something that I'm like I need to yeah. watch,
0: and I know it affected everybody. you know I know like there were so many sniffles in that film, so <laughs> so many sniffles throughout the young couple that was next to me, like she couldn't stop crying, you know, and I was like, yeah, like I felt that lump in my throat periodically throughout the film and and you're right, I know that we are a big fan of this tone of cinema, but I think the story is applicable to everyone, and the difference between. And the reason why we wanted to bring Dead Poet Society up in this is because they are similar. They're like an homage to it. But the difference is like the teacher for Mr. Hunnam Mm -hmm. and Mr. Keatley, right? Keaton. Keaton. Keating. Excuse me. (laughs) Very different, you know, like Mr. Hunnam is like a he's kind of bitter and pompous. Like I said before, Robin
1: Williams is like pure joy and and just life is more than what you think it is. He's pure inspiration. Uh And uh, Robin Williams is like the only actor that literally broke me when he passed away. And I realized that I had put some of my goals as an actor into this idea that one day I might be near him, I might work with him. And when he passed, it wasn't just him not being around, it was like this whole idea of what I wanted to achieve could not, could no longer be achieved. And I just yeah. kind of like put on music and just cried. Yeah. Uh, and it cried for myself, cried for him, cried for everybody.
0: Um, he was bigger than life itself, you know? Rest was- in peace and a big loss to humanity And and... So grateful for what he has been able to offer and what's stayed, you know. He there's a piece I feel like at least everybody that knows him or knows of his work, I've seen his films. There's a there's a part of him inside of our hearts. That's always going to be with us. He's a
1: second father, a movie father. Yeah, to a lot of what a legend! People, not not just us. Um, and Peter Weir directs Dead Poet Society, and he did uh, The Truman Show. So somehow uh, Peter Weir is able to take these really uh, rambunctious uh, comedians, these these larger than life characters, and be able to mold them because it's not suppression. It it is it is almost condensing everything that they have inside that they explode with and is able to paint with all of that it's almost like he takes the like all of this paint puts it in a little jar and then p- puts his little brush in and goes like this and it's it's incredible what he's a- able to pull out of it and yeah. uh, you know Robin Williams does goodwill hunting and the same thing it's just like he's able to it's just amazing to watch what the director is capable of doing like he did with
0: Jim Carrey if if you have a chance and you haven't seen, it, if you're listening, you should definitely watch Dead Poet Society. Um, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, it is in the same tone as Holdovers, very similar, and uh, it's a little bit slower of a burn than I think. Than sure, Holdovers is. sure. So so, but you 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 watch it and you feel so resolved. Like Robin Williams' character, he's he's teaching you to think outside of the box. He's teaching you to find your humanity, find your opinion, find your voice. Or if, even if you're watching it too, like, you know, it's a coming of age, but also if you've lost your voice, if, it, if you're like, you've kind of like forgot where that inner child of you is, you can watch that and be reminded again um, through the guidance of this of this character and how Robin portrays this character. And it's interesting watching it now, It's that's something so far than what AI could produce. You know, you're thinking about emotions and he's like, "See, you have to see life. He goes, you have to see life from different perspectives. He stands on the desk. Get up here with me, you know? And then he's like, rip out rip out these pages out of this textbook. He's like, because a business person says this is what poetry should be like. And we see that a lot now. You Academic, know? yeah. Shareholders and people that are running, like, companies that are you know going for art. the numbers versus the art yeah exactly and so he's like that's not what poetry is about because you know they break it down they like chop it up yeah you know they're talking about poetry like it's, it's math arithmetic yeah it's
1: the things that can't be explained
0: exactly and it's great and you know and the way that he teaches is so inspiring you know as you're watching it there's this one kid that's too cool, cool for school doesn't want to do this poems and then he says okay all right and then he like goes to this table and he gives him a little bit lecture one-on-one and he says It's fine. It can be short. It can be sweet. Some of the most powerful can be short and sweet this way. But don't be ordinary.
1: And and he's like you can see he can see when somebody's beating themselves up too much, and he uses a different method for that specific student. And so you know Ethan Hawke is a revelation in this film, and it's there's a reason his career has lasted as long as it has, and this was a big part of his beginning. Um, he was a child actor, but even again, it's like he got a new lease on his career with this film. And uh, there's a scene in Dead Poets, where. You know, we find out basically that Ethan Hawke, his character, is having trouble reading. And I I swear to God, I feel like I've used this quote on on this podcast in the four episodes that we've done. But it's like, if you judge um, a fish on its ability to fly, it'll live its life thinking that it's stupid and i'm one of those people where i always say my my genius lies in other places than a lot of the places other people's are and if i judge myself based off of how other people are learning i will always feel inept and i'll always feel dumb and so that's why this movie's so special to me he goes cuz ethan Hawke's character has has heart and creativity and everything that the other characters have in a very different way and we find out that really he's he's a genius in so many ways.
0: It just needs patience. And finding those teachers to be patient is hard. Going back to the Ethan Hawke's character, definitely. Was so the, the main the main character was really brilliant. And, I, and his name is Slipping. Do you know his name? He
1: has three names. Robert Sean Leonard, but Neil Perry is his character.
0: Yeah, so Robert Sean Leonard, who played Neil Perry, brilliant actor. And he's so good. And uh, you know there's so many articles about it how this is the type of actor that's been able to fly under the radar cuz he's done so much great work so many great films and honestly the performances out of the out of both of them were, were were really like astounding and it's cool because Ethan Hawke's character is like he's in a journey of trying to find his voice and Robin Williams's character Mr. Keating he's just like he can read him like, like a book. You think everything inside of you is ugly, it twists and it churns, and you just don't know how to grab a hold of it. And I'm like, that's interesting. So th- this movie's great. It's about finding your voice, finding your perspective, finding your outlook on life, um, it's speaking your truth, going against the grain. It's,
1: it's knowing that there's, there's creativity doesn't in all work. of us. It doesn't matter uh, what you do for a living. There's creativity in everything you do. If you're organizing your home, you're using a level of creativity. Creativity is not just for artists. And a lot of people are starting to learn that now, finding joy also.
0: So the holdovers got me walking out of the theater thinking, well, feeling something uh, on a deeper level that consumed my entire drive back home, which is the point with great, films right like you want to leave feeling something you want to take part of that film with you affected feel affected and and keep that with you for you know however long that impression lasts and that's the point um it got me thinking like this is what the holidays are are made of it's what we make of them everyone coming together in our lives in our immediate circles and serve as a reflection point like we talked about earlier where everyone finds themselves not only observing their current place in life but also at the people around them The laughter and the joy we have despite the hardships that we have to face on a day-to-day basis. Something as simple as enjoying food together and just holding space is really what makes the holiday season the holiday season. There were several times in the theater where I felt a lump in my throat as my emotions overcame me. As the film ended, there was not a dry eye in the theater. The verdict? (laughs) The Holdovers, which shares a lot of similarities to The Dead Poet Society, is a cozy film. The latter being a little bit of a slower-paced film, but watching both left me thinking and feeling something. One of those films where there aren't any explosions or action-packed sequences, but just people experiencing life and exploring the human condition, the need to be seen and to be loved. These films feel like a hug, and they sound like the silence that comes after a heavy snowfall. So, like Robin Williams says in Dead Poets Society, Carpe Diem, seize the day and make your life stories extraordinary. And like the last line in Holdovers goes, keep your head up. You can do this. (laughs) Yup! And that's the episode for today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you guys uh, go check out the Holdovers. This has been another creative
1: compulsion.
0: (laughs) We'll see you on the next episode. Wow! Creative compulsion. (laughs)